not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my god, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm like the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. And you'll never have to pour or measure detergent again. Can we, can we all get along? Karen, our guest, film at 11. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Hello, Brain Trust. It's Ben Glebe here. It's time for another Last Week on Earth on account of the fact that the last week just passed, which is true every day, but also when podcasts come out. We're going to do things in reverse order today because we have an amazing guest that I recorded some time ago. Uh, that I'm waiting for the right moment to release, and I'll explain who that is and what that is in a little bit. Bit, but so we're going to start with Thunder Round this week in just a moment, followed by Twitter answers, followed by some more serious news stories, followed by the interview. So just so you're aware, don't get disoriented. Do not adjust your ears. Things aren't backwards; only they are. That's the main thing you have to realize. But before that. You know, I do like to fill you in on something that happened in my own personal life each week whenever there is something to report. Nothing of too much substance this week except for the fact that I took a snow half day to go with my brother and his two sons, my little nephews, to Mountain High, not to go skiing on account of the fact that they don't ski because they're children and I'm currently not skiing because I just had such a bad back I couldn't walk for like a week. And if I lift like a five-pound thing lately, I'm like, I can't lift this. Like, there's nothing... I feel stranger than having your girlfriend have to lift stuff because you can't move well. It's a bit of an emasculating situation, but tis what tit is. She's a good sport about it. But we went instead to the Yeti Snowplay area, which was $30 admission, but $60 if you wanted to go on a tube. Seems like a bit of an upcharge if you ask me, and no one does. But okay, seemed like a bit of an absurdly... High upcharge, but let's do it. And we went on these this very fun tube thing, but for you'd think for $30 upcharge, it would be like an elaborate, long, you're sliding for a minute. This was like a, it's a 12-second run. It's a 12-second run that you just do over and over again. And I had fun doing it. You can see one of them on my Minute with Glebe on my Instagram. But what confounds me is children's mood swings. Are all children just unstable? Because the four-year-old nephew, an amazing child, but how can you one minute be scared of a thing, then do the thing, then feel great about it and love it and then want to do it again, then get scared again to do the same thing you just did that you weren't scared about, then do it, then say again, 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 then do it again, and then say, I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore, starting right now. But we want to do it more convince slash coerce him to do one more time. He does it, and he's like, again, again, again. I mean, that opinion's all over the map. It's hard. Is it strange of me to be complaining about the enthusiasm consistency of a four-year-old child? Yes, it probably is. 
But there we have it. We're brought to you this week, as always, by Mountain High Yeti Snow Park. You want to be overcharged to sit on a fucking tube? We we, we got you. They also had a Santa Claus come out. During COVID, when they were at limited capacity and couldn't even let people eat food inside, they had a man in a Santa outfit allowing kids to come up and hug him and sit in his lap, which wasn't even the worst part of it. Was The worst part of it was that he was super skinny dude. doesn't even look like a Santa Claus. You're just letting your children sit on the lap of a methed out, starving man. Bad choices abound in that situation. We're also brought to you, as always, by meth. Meth. If you don't care for your teeth much, give us a shout. On that note, earlier than we've ever done it, I think, it is time for the Thunder Round. Son wins lawsuit after mom throws away his best porno mags. You heard it. It's an atrocity, a crime against humanity, really. A Grand Haven couple will have to pay for disposing of their son's pornography collection. Justice finally is available in this world. He hopes to be awarded $75,000. Telling you two things. This judge obviously also has an enormous porn collection and really understands the value of a good stash and two. This, this guy, uh, jerking off too much by a long stretch. It's far too much masturbation happening when you got a $75,000 porn collection. At that point, you should not live in your parents' home. David Working, 42-year-old man, my age, sued his parents, Beth and Paul Working. Surprised family's name is not jerking. After they tossed out what a judge called a trove of pornography, and an array of sex toys. Finding your son's sex toys has to be the lowest moment possible. Only worse than that probably would be being a mother who feels the intense maternal need to probably wash them for your son. No, not this couple. They threw them out. U.S. District Judge Paul Maloney in Kalamazoo granted the son's request for summary judgment in his favor. Quote from the lawyer, this was a collection of often irreplaceable items and property. His client had moved into his parents' home in late 2016 after a divorce. I wonder if the divorce happened on account of him constantly masturbating to a very expensive and rare porn collection and using sex toys on himself. Because clearly you weren't keeping the sex toys that meant for women when moving back into mom and dad's place, are you? Also, what sex toys are made for men? I'd say tweet at me, but don't. Please don't. After he left for Muncie, Indiana, he expected them to deliver his belongings. He later realized that a dozen boxes of pornographic films and magazines were missing. He finally moves out. They don't ship the porn over. His father said in an email, Frankly, David, I did you a big favor getting rid of all this stuff. Oh, listen, I don't know about the $75,000 valuation, but it's not fun to lose your favorite stuff, you know? It's not fun to lose... Your private play things. Play, look at things, watch things. You understand what I'm saying. This is a ridiculous story overall, but I side with the porn kid on this and the judge who's clearly masturbating under that robe constantly. 
Wang Lutai is no ordinary kung fu master. The 65-year-old from a village in central China practices a unique and excruciating-looking strand of martial arts coined Iron Crotch Kung Fu. Its most famous technique involves a steel plate, capped log. You take a log and you put a steel plate on the end of it to make it more hard. It weighs 88 pounds. And you swing it through the air and you smash it into a man's crotch. Quote, when you practice the iron crotch kung fu, as long as you push yourself, you will feel great, said Wang, head of the Juntun Martial Arts Academy. I don't know if you're going to feel great. I feel like you're going to feel like you've conquered something at least. But great? After you've been smashing the grapes by a metal log? Why is this necessary and why has this ever been necessary? Why can't we just let this go away? The iron crotch mastery of which is gained by taking hits to the body's weakest points while using Qigong breathing techniques to injure oneself, to inure oneself rather. It's just one element of the branch of Tongbiquang Kung Fu that has been practiced in Wang's village for the past 300 years. The style encompasses scores of attack techniques as well as resisting pressure, pain, or hits to other sensitive areas. There is no more sensitive area than the, than the Grand Nard area. Quote, we also have iron throat, iron head, iron chest, and iron back as well, said fellow master 53-year-old Tang Cheng. Tang has to be in his name. These names always match these people, or very often they do. This is a town of fucking morons, I think, pretty clearly. Welcome to our town, where the tourism is very low, and our gift shop is very painful. They throw heavy, hard objects onto the neck, and the chest, and the head, and the, and the, and the balderdashes? So you can learn to withstand pain? How about... Don't get yourself in pain. How about avoid pain at all costs the way I do it? The style of Kung Fu practice in those Juntun village and the outskirts of the ancient capital of Luoyang was historically a fiercely guarded secret, but concern has grown that fewer and fewer people were taking it up and that it might not survive. Oh, what a crying shame. There used to be around 200 people practicing this in the village. Now there's just five doing the crotch technique specifically. And there probably won't be many more of them going forward on account of there's no way they can have children. On account of the metal case log being repeatedly jammed into your reproductive organs. Don't call me a scientist. Unless you really want to. But I get a hunch about things every now and again. I have a hunch that right now it is time for Twitter answers. I asked the brain trust if you had one wish that would be granted, but it has to be for something silly or unimportant. What would it be? Y'all responded with hashtag Twitter answers and hashtag brain trust the following at trip fuller. These are my favorite answers. Of course, as always at trip fuller said all holiday cooking turns out perfect and only half the calories count. I like that. I like that you made it 
kind of a humble, realistic request. Instead of saying only none of the calories count and all cooking turns out perfect, you made it seasonal and you made it realistic in the calories, even though it's unrealistic. I admire the pragmatism in your wish. The next answer was the McRib to be available all year round. Who said that? At Ben Glebe 24. At Ben Glebe 2024, rather. An account named after me running for president in 2024. Clearly a fantasy account, something that will not happen. I'm getting choked up even thinking about it. But I appreciate the support. I also hate the McRib with a passion of a thousand summers. Looks disgusting. Is pretty gross. I don't think your sandwich should drip. I don't think your sandwich should look like somebody poured molasses on top of the rack of ribs put on top of the Flintstones car that tilted him over in the beginning of every episode. They never they never solved that problem. This is also echoed by Eric Bunsen, at Eric Bunsen, the Bunsen burner himself. At Jessica Keibel, our friend Jess, recently joined the Patreon. Thank you so much for joining, Jess. You will be getting your special nickname soon. Jess said, open the door for the dogs with my mind. Or always find what I'm looking for. Both or either would be nice. Ha 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 ha. Those were in there. That's not me mocking. Those were in the tweet. I feel you on the first one for sure. And the second one, I lose stuff a lot. Being able to find it instantly would be great. But have you really lost it if you can find it? That's more of an existential question that's been brought up by this kind of metaphysical quandary you proposed. But opening the door for dogs with your mind, amazing. Not likely, but amazing. There certainly would be a way to do this with an app. I've looked into doggy doors. I don't understand the concept because you can't allow your dog to go in and out. And there's also like raccoons and squirrels and crazy other animals in the neighborhood that could figure it out or see the dog go in and clearly go in there at some point. Or he could drag in things he maybe catches or kills outside. But there are, I have found, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi enabled or even RFID enabled doggy doors you can put into your sliding doors to go into the backyard. Maybe you could just, when your dog needs to go, if you don't want to get up, unlock it with your phone. And then maybe he'd hear the click and no, and not otherwise he'd just randomly run up to it thinking it's open. He'd smash his face right into the, right into the plastic. It's not quite your mind, but it's the best thing we can come to. These phones have become extensions of our hands, bodies, arms, life, social calendar. All of it above and all of the above as well. David Wahey says, I would wish for an iPhone app that would allow my phone to instantly dispense an unlimited supply of Reese's peanut butter cups. I feel you, dog. They delicious. I wonder if you're thinking in your mind the thin ones, like the, the, the bigger ones that are flatter or the fun size that are a little thicker but rounder. The only way I could even see it coming out of an iPhone, even if it were possible, is the more full-size ones that are shorter. Are they shorter now, I wonder? Or are they just smaller and it's an illusion? The point being, it would be nice. I don't know why it has to be iPhone-related. Maybe because it's always on you? Because this is a dream you could also make happen by just carrying a pocket full of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups at all times, which you could easily do. So... I don't know that it's the best use of a wish, but I do feel you how delicious they are. Amy Bradley Hole at Amy B-Hole. The B-Hole, everybody knows, is one more evolved than the A-Hole. Said, I want to be able to do extreme whitewater stand-up paddleboarding. 
It combines two things I love, paddling on the river and just being generally insane. I watched a video that Amy included with this uh, tweet, and it is bonkers. I almost don't trust the video because so many videos are manipulated these days, but you do see the water coming off of it, so I think it's real. This person goes down whitewater rapids that you'd have a hard time surviving in a raft, standing on a surfboard with a paddle in his hand. Why and how and what and why again? To not have any sort of anything you're strapped into? Eventually you're going to fall, right? This guy does a minute without falling, which is unbelievable, but eventually you're going to fall and your paddleboard is going to go down a rapid. And then you're just stuck swimming in a rapid with nothing to get you back to safety, to anywhere. It seems like the most flawed sport I've ever thought of in my life. And I didn't even think of it. I feel confused by the fact that it's been introduced to me. My mind is shaken and stirred. Elizabeth DeShong at E.G. DeShong said, A world without belly buttons is the silly or unimportant thing you'd like. And then you put kind of a green emoji face, like you were getting sick even thinking about the concept of belly buttons. I don't know that I understand your point. Human life couldn't really be possible as we know it without belly buttons. That is where the umbilical cord is attached to. I learned that at least a year ago. I thought it came out of your b-hole, personally. But why Why do you not like a belly button? Usually, sometimes they're weird, but usually they go in just like an inch. They feel kind of good to put your finger in there right now. Woohoo! <laughs> just did it. Felt great. Don't know how they didn't cast me in the Pillsbury Durboy Dur or the Doughboy commercial I auditioned for four years ago to be the voice of. Painful. Thanks for bringing that memory up. I don't know why you had to do that. But you did it, Elizabeth. But, you know, sometimes they get a little lint in there. That's about it. You can pour a little soda water in there, flavored soda water, no calories, and drink it like a little miniature shot glass. There are a lot of options. Probably my entire answer is not making you feel any less green in the face. I'll move on. At Wittering Paul, Paul Rogers said, we get an extra two weeks. I love this answer. We get an extra two. so specific. I'm going to read it to you now. Don't worry. We get an extra two weeks in December. This just for putting up decorations and buying presents. People's Christmas list must be submitted by the start of this period. And it's a paid holiday for everyone, except retail who get two weeks extra off at any point they like. I love it because December is a wind down time for a lot of the world, a lot of the planet, a lot of industries. Certainly the entertainment industry shuts down. So you'd think it's always chill, but a lot of that time is filled with consumerism, commercialism, buying stuff, people you don't know what to buy. Sure, gift cards made it easy, but they look like an unfeeling asshole just phoned in the gift by getting them a gift card. So you got to get something nice. You got to figure it out. Or a lot of times you just resort these days to asking your friend what they want or your family member. What are you looking to get? And then you just buy them the exact thing they were already going to get. That was already in their Amazon cart. And they get you the exact thing you wanted. And it's a real formality. It takes up a lot of time. It's cute. But it would be good if it didn't count against our chill end of the year time. Which reminds me, by the way, before I get to the last few of these answers. You can do your chill end of the year time with me or with me and Greg Proops coming up this Sunday. I'm sorry, this Saturday, December 26th, the day after Christmas, is the next Gleeb off the top crowd work and improvised madness. We just had the most fun in the world of the last one last night. It was a blast. 
a real community is being built, a real fun format's being evolved out of it and from it and into it. It likes it both ways. We elect and appoint a new mayor every single time. I actually elected the mayor this time. I appointed it the first time, so it's becoming more democratic. I'm still a little drunk on power, but we'll see. And Leah Lamar joined me. Mary Lynn Rice Cup was going to join, but she hit her head and is feeling fine, but couldn't do it. Not wasn't feeling fine enough yesterday. I digress. Jamie Kennedy joined me the week before. And next week, on the 26th, my special guest is Adam Ray, one of the stars of The Heat with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. He was the cast of Mad TV. He's hilarious. He's the voice of She-Ra, I think, somehow, on Netflix, the cartoon. And he'll be joining me. He's great at characters and impressions. It's going to be an absolute blast. It's the weirdest show you'll ever see in your life. And tickets to that at NowhereComedyClub.com. If you use the promo code, code, C-O-D-E, you can get a discount on that ticket. And on New Year's Eve, if you don't have plans, and I know you don't, because this is the weirdest year ever and you're staying home, stay home and still celebrate with me and improv legend and star of Whose Line Is it Anyway, Greg Proops. For Greg and Glebe, it's a New Year's Eve thing, a special holiday celebration version of our show. We're doing a midnight toast with you, a midnight champagne toast. We're doing a drinking game with you all show long where you drink when we say certain things. And then... For our VIP hang after the show, we are doing a cocktail hour where Greg and I will each teach you how to make our favorite beverages and answer your questions, and we'll get a little sloshed with you. If you're East Coast, we'll be there at midnight, East Coast, to chime it in. If you're West Coast, you get two because you get to celebrate with us at 9 p.m., and you still have three hours until midnight so you can have dinner and celebrate with your boo or your baby or your lady or your bae or your video games or your whatever, your, your you know solo cocaine binge at home, just realizing that that's all you need in life. For you, if that's your opinion. I don't agree you shouldn't do drugs, but if you do, do it. And if you don't, don't. That's the best way I could phrase that for you. Rita O'Donnell. Rita Riri O'Donnell at Rita Odo 308 because there were obviously – 308 million of her account name before her, so she had to choose that name. Something silly or unimportant if she could be granted a wish is that she wishes she could ride horses again, particularly along a beach. Like, I love to ride a horse. Anybody who knows me and my soul knows I love to ride a horse. I enjoy it quite a bit. And I don't know if I told you the story before, but this is a 100% true story in my life. It's so weird. One time I was in Mexico. We were actually surprising our friend in Mexico, two of our friends that were there. And there's four of us now leaving a bar in Mexico, leaving like papas and, and beer or something very basic. And uh, I think it was in San Felipe. No, was it? No, it was in Rosarito. We're leaving this bar at two in the morning, drunk, off our asses. And as we leave, I say out loud, man, I want to ride a horse on the beach. I wish we could somehow just rent horses right now and ride galloping on the beach. And one of the weirdest, most surreal moments of my life. I swear to you, this is true. Turns the corner is a man on a horse with four more horses on leashes in a line of five horses coming towards us. And I asked him if we could rent the horses and just for like 10 bucks a pop, maybe 20, the four of us got on horseback, went to the beach and drunkenly, I was galloping like 50 miles an hour on this horse. However fast horses go, I was going that fast. And intuiting it, I kind of in, in commune and intu- 
and intuit horse is pretty good. I didn't know the terms or the way to do it or if these horses were trained. And I was literally going like, hey, I was like, oh, now and pulling the thing back and forward and slightly, lightly tapping his side to get him to go faster. And yay now to get him to, to slow down. It was perfect. We were on the same page. Could have ended terribly. I was drunk. But there's no rules against drunk horseback driving. Pretty sure that's encouraged because the horse isn't drunk. He can make his own decisions. Which leads me into Caitlin Greer at Caitlin A. Greer 93's tweet that I could talk to animals like Dr. Doolittle. I like that. But I'm torn between whether we should want to talk to animals like just you or me as an individual skill or whether animals should just be able to talk. Would be great if dogs could talk, but no, I take it back. They would never shut up and you couldn't ignore them either because you'd be like directly ignoring their needs. Whereas now you can have your dog be like, you're like, I can't understand. So shut the fuck up. So I guess maybe the ability to commune with animals if you want, when you want would be cool, but it's a great dream. Sean Ehrlich at Sean D. Ehrlich said for Doctor Who to be streaming on Netflix or Amazon Prime. I'm only reading this one because do I have to watch Doctor Who? I don't know what it is. I've never seen even a frame of it. People are obsessed. Do what? Tweet at me. Do I have to watch this? Why? And it convinced me why. Explain to me. At the Matt Stevens, I wish that every Thursday the sky turned crazy tie-dye colors. I love that you did it only just once a week because you would get very tired of the overwhelming tie-dye nature. But once a week, you could even mark our calendars that way. I don't hate it. I also think the week should maybe start on Thursdays. We reset the clock once you see that. At I'm Carissa Noel. Set a huge slide at the top of every hiking trail that brings you directly to the parking lot. I'm torn about this answer. Because, granted, slides are super cool. And you can't slide up. But down's the easy part of the hike. It's kind of the fun part. You get to kind of go, start running and go fast. Up is the shit part. I wish there was a, somehow like an upward rapid a river that could carry you against against the grain and with the tide but against the tide with it and against before you were against it you were forward and i think you both know that and me as well but that said one of the greatest surprises of my life was when i went to the great wall of china and it's a very beautiful amazing historic site and also grueling walking through this very enormous staircase then we get down to the bottom we're like we have to climb all the way down now and then we saw a sign that said bobsled down the side of the Great Wall of China. And I got to get in a bobsled and fly at like 50 plus miles an hour, however fast bobsleds go, down the Great Wall of China. It was an amazing combination of historical significance and complete childlike fun. God, was it cool. I got out of that thing five years younger. And with really rattled balls. Because it was kind of a rickety metal track there, you know? Brendan Gatelli at Gator1736. For cows to make the sounds of pigs and pigs to make the sounds of cows. But for only one week. And honestly, I don't believe even that that's your belief. I don't believe that you want that. For just a week? Just for the novelty of it? You don't want them to switch for life? I don't even think you'd notice if those changed. Because it's not like cows and pigs make the same noise that they do in, like, children's books. They don't actually go oink, oink, and moo. 
They sound not that different in life anyway. I feel like cows, I'm not, I'm no farmhand, but I feel like cows are more like, I feel like pigs are more like, that's a donkey, but more like a, okay, I don't know how to make a pig sound. And I think we've well established that. But my point is they're general just kind of farm noises. I don't think you'd be as plussed as you believe you are. And can you say plussed or is just non-plussed a term? Is plussed, does that mean pleased? And then why not just say pleased? Tweet at me some of these answers. I'm, I need more Twitter answers from you guys because you're the brain trust and sometimes I don't know this stuff. That's why we're in this together. And that's why we're a collective brain trust. Frank Nataro at Frankie Bod said he'd like teleportation capability. This was echoed also by Liz Rudolph Michaels at Zephyr's Girl and Linda Brez. It's Joe time at Just My Little Bit. So everybody wants to teleport and I feel that it would be cool Go a little Pac-Man style, leave one way, enter another instantaneously. Be better if it didn't take you into the same fucking deadly room full of murderous ghosts. But the general premise, I love it. But I've said it before and I'll say it again. We kind of have teleportation already. We don't have our physical bodies traveling places. That's the only thing we don't have. But we're a little spoiled as a species that we don't realize how lucky we are that we actually can teleport currently instantly to anywhere on the planet that has cell service or wi-fi two of your five senses two of your five parts of your body your eyes and your ears and your mouth three parts is that three senses also seeing hearing and speaking is speaking a sense seeing hearing touch taste and i think Talking? I'm not sure if talking is a sense. That's weird. I don't know that. But the point being, most of what you experience in life is by seeing it, hearing it, and interacting with it verbally. You're not often touching stuff. You don't travel to China and just feel the faces of everybody like you're a blind guy. You're not trying to hook up with a hot-looking lady by feeling her wrist Ray Charles style. All these are blind person analogies because they experience life tactile but most of us don't most of us don't even hug people much or even like shaking hands and after covid we're going to be way reticent about that more than ever anyway so all you're missing as far as life experience is touch sitting on the actual place what are you sad you can't go to the bathroom in that country and it's taste taste that's a bummer to not be able to experience but just for taste that's the one big negative you don't get from our current video conferencing teleportation that we currently have on zoom or skype or facetime instantly you can be walking down a street in china people can see your face you can see all of them or any place you want to go it could be brazil doesn't have to be just china just one analogy you guys can extrapolate it out i hope but how incredible you get to do everything but go to the bathroom there or eat the food and both those are related and if you don't eat the food you don't need to go to the bathroom anyway so be lucky or feel realize how lucky you are that we have teleportation, just not for our bodies. For our minds, we do. For our mouths, just don't put no food in there. You're basically a bulimic, not even a bulimic more. You're more of an anorexic, non-blind world traveler when you video conference your way into your dreams. That's what I wanted to leave you with. Before we head into the rest of the podcast and our amazing guest, Jessica Caremore, poet and activist and artist featured on Talib Kweli albums and Nas's albums. 
And you'll hear in her intro, she's Nas's most famous two albums, or famous one album, but with two names. She opened it and closed it. And is also just an incredibly acclaimed author and poet. And I taped this episode back in June, this interview rather with her back in June. This episode's happening right now. That's why I'm able to say that sentence I just said. And I was saving it for a time when not at the height of Black Lives Matter, but at a time when, of course, sadly, we knew that it would be resurging yet again, the need to feel and understand the plight of our fellow black brothers and sisters in this country and this planet. Yet again, injustice happening. So we'll get to that in a moment. And then you'll have this beautiful, uplifting, funny, interesting, inspiring interview. And one of the most beautiful poetry reads I've ever heard. And we talk about white privilege, what it's like to be black. And we just catch up in general. I highly recommend you listen to it. It's coming to you in just a bit. But before we go into some more stories before that, and I have to mention also that we have the official BenGlebe.com merchandise store open. My first official ever. I've had an official merchandise store, like a good one, like a real one. And first time in years you can get any of my stuff. If you want to go to BenGlebe.com, click on the merch store, and there's all kinds of brain trust stuff. There's all kinds of Glebe merchandise my face on a couple things, you probably want to avoid those items. But cool brain trust stuff, cool neurotic gangster things, check that out. Patreon.com slash Ben Glebe. I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. I just combined two thoughts. That's at BenGlebe.com. My Patreon, you can sign up for at Patreon.com slash Ben Glebe. Um, has been blowing up. I'm really focusing on making that experience amazing for all of you. For any of you that are part of the Glebe Squad, part of the Brain Trust, you can get free tickets to my shows, exclusive access to see them after they're done, to the VIP Q&As, private VIP Q&As for patrons only. You can get private video chats with me, letters handwritten from me, mailed to you, drawings from me. You can get your official Glebe Squad Brain Trust membership card mailed to you. It's a super dope black card. We are finalizing the design on now. We have a cool logo we're creating, and it'll be coming out very shortly. Uh, lots of really fun perks and cool things there. And I think you'll enjoy it. If you're someone who enjoys the stuff I do and put out there and you enjoy all the free content, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash Ben And also, if I mentioned earlier for the uh, new year's Eve show with Greg Proops, you can also use the code code promo code code. We can check out for a discount to those shows as well. Santa. And Mrs. Claus exposed dozens of Georgia kids to COVID-19. You see, I told you that was going to happen. In the earlier story about my snow day adventures, why we stayed clear of skinny meth Santa. But they exposed dozens of kids to COVID-19, said they were feeling fine. Turns out they were COVID positive. I only report this story to finally prove to you that Santa is not real. Because we all know COVID's a hoax. I'm kidding because I'm not stupid. Putin accepts Biden's victory, leaving Trump standing all alone, the Daily Beast reported. The Russian president was the final major global leader. Did I say that correctly? Major global leader? Hard to say fast. Major global leader who hadn't acknowledged Trump's defeat, excluding, of course, Trump himself. But he did it. The Russian president finally extended a begrudging congratulations to President-elect Biden 
leaving Trump as literally the last major global leader not to acknowledge his own defeat in last month's election. It's been almost a month and a half. The Kremlin said they'd wait for the official results. And the Electoral College was it. The Kremlin said, quote, Putin wished the president-elect every success and expressed confidence that Russia and the United States could, despite their differences, really help solve the many problems and challenges facing the world. No thanks, don't need your help, Russia, but thanks for the thank yous just so we could finally move on because now that daddy said it's cool, you think maybe Trump's getting closer to accepting it. He still hasn't accepted it. At least you're alone on the world stage. I guess Kim Jong-un hasn't quite accepted it yet either. The guy you fell in love with. I'm surprised that Trump hasn't publicly said, I've also fallen in love with COVID-19, okay? I've exchanged wonderful affections with COVID-19. I got love letters from it. They were so convincing. I let COVID inside me, okay? I had COVID inside me, fucking me for four days. I mean, COVID fucked me so hard. It put me in the hospital, okay? It's a nasty virus. It's a nasty, kinky, wonderful virus. There's nothing to be afraid of. Embrace your inner freak. Let that COVID inside, okay? I mean, it's bonkerific. The reality we live in. Mitch McConnell even acknowledged Trump's defeat the next day. Of course, Moscow Mitch was beaten by Putin himself before he acknowledged that Trump indeed had lost. And yet another COVID-related story. The vaccines have finally rolled out. The first Pfizer vaccines are rolling out. And that's wonderful news. So long awaited. Maybe we can get back in the next coming months, hopefully eventually to something semblancing or some semblance rather of normal life. But of course, there's a Trump scandal everywhere you look always. Because apparently over 40 million doses, I'm sorry, 4 million doses, are stuck in a warehouse and are not being distributed well. And there's not currently a plan for it. And the Trump administration said, no, no, Pfizer hasn't gotten into it. Pfizer's like, that is a lie. We have none that we don't have, that we're not sending out, that have orders to send out. We just have not received orders. They're sitting in a warehouse. I would guess Trump's plan is to put all of the COVID vaccines that are unused on a space shuttle using his wonderful Space Force. That is a complete pointless waste of money. That could be used to give stimulus checks to people, which just finally looks like it's getting approved now, but it's not going to be enough. I'm surprised he's not using his Space Force to send those vaccines into outer space and just release them into the ether, hoping they trickle down and vaccinate us Americans. The Republican Party loves that strategy for everything else. I would not be shocked. And there's another finally approved vaccine this last week on Earth, the Moderna vaccine, that apparently doesn't have to be kept as cold as the Pfizer vaccine, so it's easier for hospitals to store it and distribute it. That's not the one I want, though, baby. No, 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 no. If I'm going to get that vaccine, I want mine ice cold. I want mine deliciously ice cold and refreshing. I want a refreshing vaccine coursing through my veins. I'd like the vaccine to have little mountains on the syringe, and when they're snow-capped, you know they're cold. That's just me. Maybe you like a room-temp vaccine. Russia has been, for many months, hacking many of our private companies and government agencies. Guess what? It's so weird. President, who is friendly to Russia and trusts them over our own intelligence agencies, like we discussed last week, 
also allowed by lack of focus on our security, his main job as president, or by intentional allowing, allowed them to breach the Department of Homeland Security, the very department tasked with keeping the nation safe from cyber attacks. Oh, the irony, were it not so completely incompetent and inept. It's just one of the agencies that's been hacked by this Russian mega hack, as they're calling it. Undetected even for many months. The Washington Post reported this story that DHS, Department of Homeland Security, the State Department, and the National Institutes of Health, not that we need that to be unhacked during a pandemic, have all joined the list of these known victims. A digital spying campaign by Russia. Also the Treasury Department, also the Commerce Department. Oh, is that all, baby? I mean, holy shit. This happened because the hackers allegedly gained access to their victim systems by exploiting software patches sent to the systems by SolarWinds, which provides network management tools. So solar uh, panels, those solar uh, wind spinning fans do not cause cancer, as Trump claims, but apparently government contracts with a company named SolarWinds does cause the cancer on our democracy, Donald Trump, to allow more damage done to our own nation. So that's good. Can we get one thing that Trump did that wasn't just the next level horrible always, always up in the ante every single damn time? Impossible. Sorry. Trump also used all of Americans as lab rats. Quite literally another level. We already talked last week on last week about how in every way he committed every atrocity that should be so clear his true intentions that never convinced his supporters otherwise. Let us die in a pandemic by misleading us, doesn't tackle climate change, reverses EPA regulations, is caught on tape saying he let us die. And then it came out this week, Lloyd Green reported that the government, while we had just announced a record number of deaths, more than 3,600 in a day, a House committee released internal Trump administration messages which showed Americans were unknowingly being used as lab rats in the president's quest for herd immunity instead of letting us know what was going on and the severity of it. They intentionally wanted us infected more than even keeping it quiet, wanted us infected to see if we could achieve herd immunity, which you needed like 60, 70% of the population to get it for that to take effect in a July 4th, 2020 email. Paul Alexander, a political appointee at the Department of Health and Human Services, spelled it all out. In his words, infants, young adults, and middle-aged folks with no conditions had, quote, zero risk, close quote, they apparently thought, and were there to take the hit as America marched off this cliff. Quote, we want them infected, Alexander said in the email. This is the kind of Murderous assholes Trump appointed. Only the best people who will drain the swamp. If by swamp you mean poisonous virus, and we will then drain it into your blood. Into your system, okay? That's our plan, okay? And even that's not going to convince his cult-afflicted, cult-member, brainwashed supporters that that's bad. You can't even get worse than that. It doesn't support our troops, doesn't respect them, doesn't understand them. Who cares? 
He made you a lab rat. He said your children should be infected with a deadly virus because he didn't want to have a national plan to stop it. I don't see the problem with it. He made you a rat. I'm, I'm still, I, maybe I don't understand the word rat. No, you know, little uh, mice that are actually bigger and are different type of thing called rat, long tails, and they come in and chew all your stuff and scare your grandma and make your 50s housewife stand on a chair with a broom in that stereotype. Oh, rats. Yeah, so you are a lab one where they take rats and they make experiments on you or they kill the rats oftentimes because they're just kind of guessing and checking what might work. Yeah, I get it. Trump did that to you. He turned you into one of those lab rats. I lost you there. The guy you love, he is using you as a rat. I don't follow. You're a rat to him. You're a disposable vermin to him. MAGA, man. That's the way he makes America great again. I don't really see a problem with it. The president has a unique approach. Sure, I don't like some of the tweets. Not the tweets. I didn't mention the tweets. He's turning you into a disposable, infesting vermin. Yeah, whatever it takes, man. Love that guy. Tells it like it is. That you're a lab rat? Yeah, you know, whatever. I don't really have much of a sense of self-awareness. So if I'm a rat, I'm a rat. This is the mindset, the broken mindset of these people, what they are willing to accept. It is mind-boggling. The administration didn't ask your permission for this, to be a human guinea pig. And, of course, young Americans now are dying at historic rates from COVID-19, from a study recently published by the Journal of American Medical Association. That's the reality. He's trying to get every last possible comic book, poorly written movie, B movie, C movie, atrocity against his own people under the, in the books before time runs out, under the wire. Could there be anything worse that these people could do? What's next? Melania going to a children's hospital to breathe on sick kids? I mean, come on. Our next story. Melania goes to children's hospital and breathes on sick kids. Are you flarking, darking me? Are you flipping, jerking me? Are you fucking kidding me? During a holiday visit to the Children's National Hospital on this last Tuesday, First Lady Melania Trump, who's on tape also saying she hates Christmas, the thing Trump pretends he saved. Remember the national ban on saying Merry Christmas that he now said you can say Merry Christmas again and then anybody with a brain was like, there was never an issue with saying Merry Christmas. Only a couple of Way too liberal morons said, don't say that. Normal people are like, it's fine to say Merry Christmas. Melania prepared to read a story to children in this children's hospital by removing her face mask and reading aloud something that sprays aerosols quite potently. The hospital policy said anyone who enters the hospital must wear a mask at all times, according to CNN and Obvious Science. There are only a couple of sick kids in there, so she probably thought losing a couple wouldn't be that bad. I mean, these people are, this people and these people are just the bottom of the barrel. She breathed directly towards sick children while reading them a story, while not wearing a mask. You cool with that? Yeah, whatever it takes, man. MAGA, you know what I mean? MAGA and CAG. I mean, they believe cognitive dissonance all the time. They, they think they can currently have both slogans still right now of make America great again and keep America great. You can't make it great again if it's currently great. So you and you and if you if it's currently great, if you're going to keep it great, there's something to make. 
They don't understand basic words. The rampant spread of disinformation in every way was Trump's greatest goal and greatest achievement. And by great, I mean one of those like nefarious, horrible greats that ruins the planet. I read a very interesting article by John Ward this week that uh, quoted extensively ABC News White House correspondent John Jonathan Carl saying that the press fell hook, line, and sinker into the trap of normalizing Trump so much and covering it that Trump's war with them became a war on facts that literally was pitted as us versus them, which became truth versus alternative facts, alternative truth. It's a clip I still haven't released that I have from my Tommy Lahren interview when she had me on her Fox Nation show. And I cornered her with logic on one topic where she actually out loud said, Ben, you're acting as though facts are truth. To which I said, yeah, I'm funny that way. I believe facts are truth, Tommy. And that's Trump's saddest and greatest achievement is he has now made it okay to have a completely alternate reality, to have a different world in which we live where we do not see the planet the same way, even though one of them is real and one of them is not. And it can now just be called a difference of opinion. Well, that is not true. There is objective reality, despite the nefarious asshole forces out there that want you to think otherwise. So they can run away with your money and line their own pockets with it. Pull those pockets out upside down and let the coins fall out and then grab them by diving, you know, Scrooge Mc, uh, like ducktail woohoo style. Put them in your own pockets. It's your money. So that's where we live now, in an alternate reality. How do we get back? How do we fix it? That's the great task ahead of us as a planet. Can I do it? I don't know. I'm going to think about it. But you should too. Whoever can solve the problem of disinformation being spread rapidly with no way to counter it or to have a common set of facts, whoever can solve that will save the planet, will save America, and will become very rich. You got all of those coming at you at once, so do what you will. Mar-a-Lago neighbors tell Trump they don't want to be his neighbor. They formed a a formal complaint with the city council. that they don't want Trump living there. And now they made it a, a uh, private club instead of a private rev- residence years ago that technically he's not allowed to live there, which apparently his plans are to live there. And this is the first intelligent thing Florida has ever done. William Barr is stepping down right around Christmas. Trump's already corrupt in his pocket Attorney General, who just the last minute is like, I'm corrupt for you, man. I'll do whatever you want. I'll gas our own people. I'll prove that. I'll help you out. I'll green light this shit. I'll stop investigation. I'll start the ones you want. But I'm not going to negate an entire election where there's no evidence of fraud. I tried. I looked for it. I let you have your time. Said he wouldn't do that. And Trump's essentially firing him for it. He yelled at him so much that Barr is stepping down. And Trump's already considering replacing his replacement because he wants a special counsel appointed to... Investigate Hunter Biden. Trump wants to fuck Hunter Biden so bad, both legally and, I think, sexually. So the only thing he's focused on is his own election results and fucking Hunter Biden. Prehistoric human remains were discovered in Michigan's Sleeping Bear Dunes National Park. Turns out the prehistoric unevolved remains was just a current member of the Trump family. 
And our last story, Chicago police handcuffed a naked innocent woman in her own house over a year ago. And they finally now, the Chicago Police Department released body cam footage of this February 2019 incident, almost two years ago, in which they raided the wrong home, of course, and handcuffed a naked innocent black woman at gunpoint. She repeatedly was screaming, saying, you've got the wrong house, you've got the wrong house. She's suing them now, as she should. She feared for her life. She kept saying, I live alone, no one else is here. Only after a long time harassing her at gunpoint did they even let her put a blanket around her. Why not let her do the blanket for minute one? She's naked, you see she doesn't have weapons on her. Now she got one of those great pussy guns you've been hearing about. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot, black woman herself is in hot water now because she initially said that she had only learned of this raid after CBS two in Chicago aired the police body camera footage recently. Turns out that is not true. She knew about it back when it happened. Well, not by what happened. She wasn't mayor yet, but right when she took over a report came across her desk of that and several other instances. And she knew about it then and lied about it. Yes, because you're presiding over a clearly maladapted racist police force and already a very troubled town, and you didn't want the embarrassment. And we all have to step up of all races to support each other as human beings and not cover these things up. And when you get to a position of power, you have to even more so stand for what is right and not cover things up. And so it's a real shit show all around. And that's why I think this is the perfect time to air this interview that I recorded before the podcast went on hiatus and I've kept it until this moment where I think, sadly, it is the right time for this conversation yet again. I think you'll really enjoy it. Jessica Caremore is a gem of a human, a really wonderful conversation we had. And so I will kick it to that right now and let you enjoy. And since I don't say it at the end of the interview, because I didn't know what order it would be assembled in, I will say it now. Until last week, next week, this has been Last Week on Earth. But, I mean, there's still more episodes to go. I already established that, right? Okay, cool. Love you. See you soon. Last Week on Earth. Last Week on Earth. I am very excited to bring on my guest, the author of We Want Our Bodies Back, an amazing book of poems. Her name is Jessica Caremore. Jessica, how are you? Hey, Ben, I'm good. I'm hanging in. I'm in, De- I'm in Detroit, and it's 90 degrees, <laughs> so I'm good. <laughs> is that unusual for Detroit? Yeah, I can, we get our summers are hot, and then our winters are extremely cold. So we get the extreme. We don't we don't really have a lot of middle ground. So yeah, 90 is kind of hot <laughs> for us. I understand. And you I'm got not, the add-on too. I like it hot and I don't complain. We, you're stuck and we've been quarantined for, we're very much on lockdown here. So being able to go out my patio and the sun on my face, I don't complain. So I love that. Yeah. Um, let me tell the people a little bit about you, if I may. Um, Jessica Care Moore is the founder and CEO of More Black Press, executive producer of Black Women Rock and founder of the literacy-driven Jess Care Moore Foundation an international renowned poet, playwright, performance artist, and producer. Oh, is that all? 
<laughs> is 2019 and 2017 Knight Arts Award winner, 2016 Kresge Arts Fellow, NAACP Great Expectations Awardee, Elaine Locke Award recipient from the Detroit Institute of Arts, Moore is the author of The Words Don't Fit in My Mouth, The Alphabet Versus the Ghetto, Sunlight Through Bullet Holes, and the critically acclaimed techno choreo poem, Salt City. Her work has been published in numerous literary collections, and she has performed on stages all over the world, including the Apollo Theater. I would love to perform there one day. Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, and the London Institute for Contemporary Arts. She lives and writes in the historic Detroit neighborhood with her son, King Thomas. And you might also know her from the Nas album, Nostradamus, the prediction and the outcome. 1999, I did that. Wow. That was one of my, that was my, probably my second professional recording. My first one with a, with a rapper. Or a lot of rappers. Number two. Yeah, Antonio Hart, um, Impulse Records, saxophone player. We recorded it for his album, Here I Stand, before that. So, and some independent stuff. But Nas is the 99 one. That was a big one. I was running around Brooklyn at that time. So, it was a, it's a big deal to, to open and close Nas's album. Um, incredible. How often does a rapper let somebody else open and close their album or do either? Listen, they, they're so nar- they're too narcissistic for something like that. It, was a, it blew my mind because he said that he wanted me to be the first and the last thing that people heard on the album, which is pretty extraordinary for a rapper to say. So, um, yeah, and then, you know, of course, now I've worked with, you know, uh, Talib Kweli. Talib signed me to his, um, he's one of, my, one of my dearest friends and signed me in 2015 to his label and put out my album, Black Tea, The Legend of Jesse James. So he gets the big, the big nod because he pushed out an entire project of mine. Um, I get asked by a lot of rappers to be on their albums. I'm kind of over it, to be honest. Me too. Um, Me too. I'm much more interested. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I want to hit him bar. You got bars? <laughs> of course, I got bars. I'm a rapper. People don't don't believe it, but I had a rapper for a while called called Benz. Benz. Yeah. I believe you, but your voice is right. You got that nice rugged voice, though. I could I could hear you in the studio, you know. But they always want me to, like intro their, you know, their shit. I want to like, I want my, I want my bars. I want my publishing. I want my, I want to be in a verse. And they usually want to kind of just me put a little something sprinkle on it. But I mean, I've been Kareem Riggins. I'm on Head Now Suite, um, his wonderful album. And so I've done. A, I just recorded during the pandemic. I recorded another record with Kareem Riggins, and so I'm hoping that to make his next project. He's got lots of cool people on the project, like John Mayer and all kinds of folks. So oh, that's amazing. Um, if you drop on someone's album with a sample like that, you don't get residuals for it. You must, right? You must get yeah, yeah, I get my publishing absolutely. Yeah, but you don't if you know you gotta you gotta have your paperwork. The industry is an ugly a ugly beast, and so uh, I've had to have lawyers and things and people in place that make sure that I get money. Because um, people kind of think you're just you know you I, mean, I write poetry. Yeah, it's how I make a living, like the house. This is the house that poems, you know, bought. <laughs> I drive the Cadillac that poems book has in that caddy. Nice. And yeah, but you can't, people kind of just assume that you could just give poetry away. And I, and I do give it away, like, especially for the last three months, how I met you, I'm constantly online kind of just giving it, right? Um, because why shouldn't I? I'm home. I'm not in a plane. Like, I'm normally flying somewhere in front of an audience. And I'm at the house of my son. So... I'm not going to not give. <laughs> and so I'm excited, excited to, um, 
to be here even like to be talking because it helps you, you know, it helps you stay sane, helps you stay creative to have exchanges with human beings and talk about like the work that I'm doing. I want to hear about what other people are doing, um, which is why I started an Instagram show, like stuff. I wasn't doing any of that before, Ben. Like I never went live on Instagram or Facebook. I just I would after you get off the road, you kind of just want to be home. And so like a lot of my independent artist friends is like, we're bugged out <laughs> because we're so used yeah. to. You know, being on the, the spring is that's popping for me. That's March yeah. is History Month. April was National Poetry Month. I got grounded. Like, oof, are you serious right now, COVID? Like, are you serious? Like, like, like <laughs> we all wish that we could be off the road for a while, and we got what we wish for. Am I wrong about that? My God, I've turned corny. Like, I got a. I'm starting a garden. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I never had time to garden and shit. I'm like, okay. But yeah, it's, you know, and it's good to laugh too, because it's been a, it's been a hard, it's been a hard three months. And then I'm in Detroit and we got hit hard. Like I lost people. I started losing people in that first week. I felt sorry for myself and my gigs. Like, you know, my book came out March 31st during the pandemic. So here I am with a book on HarperCollins, which is a huge deal for me to be like, I'm the first black woman poet since Gwendolyn Brooks on HarperCollins, like such an honor, so crazy. Just wanted to like get out and share all this work. And then suddenly you're like, okay, by the way, all your all your book events are canceled. All your college gigs are gone. Um, but my friends started dying. And then I didn't care. I was like, okay, so what? <laughs> What's my money? Yeah, I didn't care about it anymore. And so I was like, what? Well, what, do, what do I have to do now? I have to help. I have yeah. to give, you know. What do you think... What do you think has changed in the world from this pandemic? Do you think anything will be a lasting change? And like, what message do you think we're, we're going to take from it? I mean, a lot, I mean, I've changed, you know, to be honest, like I, I, I'm have a little anxiety for people. Um, and I'm a people person. I'm a do, do an, a 90 minute keynote, two, three hour. I'm hugging and talking especially with college kids, man. I'm like, I'm talking, I'm engaging with people. I'm not an artist that comes on, does a spill and then leaves out and you don't can't find them backstage. Right. I come out and I'm with the people. So I'm the opposite of social distancing. (laughs) So I've changed and I think it's going to take a while before people feel comfortable, you know, um, in audiences and crowds. And even though as much as I miss audiences, I can't wait to get back to them. Um, yeah, I think, you know, and just on a lighter note, I think the planes are going to be cleaner. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, because they used to be nasty. Yeah, <laughs> I hope that's true. Plus, they're not going to seat people in middle seats for a while, which is going to be very nice. No, middle seats shouldn't exist anyway. Agreed. So, like, we should eliminate middle seats because who yeah. wants, nobody wants to sit there. Yes. Or they should be cheaper. I don't know why we get to pay the same money to sit between two people. So do you think that society is going to, change it all in some positive way from the lockdown because everybody's like oh we finally learned what it's like to not have so many cars on the road and to not be hustling and bustling but but my sad theory is that we pop right back we're gonna go right back to everything i hope not you know i hope that we actually learn from this because um i've learned what i don't need that's for sure like how much i don't have to buy like i haven't bought i bought like one pair of shoes okay admittedly i bought one pair but since the pandemic but i thinking about the things that matter and how much money you need to survive off of. Like I was out freaking about money. And I was like, I'm not about to freak out about money. I'm not going to lose my house. My, me and my son are eating food. Like, you know, like you get all excited and then you're like, wait, we can actually survive with less. And I think that's yeah. you know, the things that matter. You know, Ben, I've had three different women friends of mine 
bring homemade bread to my porch. Wow. They're doing bread drop-offs. I was like, can we make what we do? They're yeah. like, I make banana bread and I never made that. So I'm like giving it to my neighbor. So me and my neighbors across the street, wonderful couple has two kids around my son's age. They barbecue every other day. They're putting stuff on the grill for us. Like we're, we're home. So we're all getting to know each other better. So I think, I think that's going to be the reset. The issue that we're dealing with now is the, the other pandemic that was happening before the COVID-19, which is racism. And so now like what's crazy is that during a, a health like crisis, we have thousands of people on the street protesting to try to make the world better for humanity in a whole yeah. different way. Yeah. But it's all interconnected, right? Because access to healthcare, like I'm a full-time artist, 25 years now, you know, I got a kid, so I had to figure out how to get health insurance, but there were many years I did not have health insurance. And so many of my artist friends don't have health insurance and just say, you know, the health insurance is your kitchen is making sure that you eat right. So you don't get sick. Um, if you break something, you know, you're SOL. And so that's been the thing that we have to fix. We have to fix this country. And I say we, I'm saying like my son's 13, like, you know, the 20 something year olds, the ones that are out there on that street, those seven, it was 18 and 19, 20. I remember I was that age. I was on them streets too. I get it. But it is, there's, they're inheriting something and they, they absolutely have to do something to change yeah. the world better. And I think, I think we're going to come out of this better people better human beings. But I'm, the fact that we are having civil unrest during a, a complete health crisis is amazing. And normally, I mean, I was in Ferguson on the ground, yeah. um, which is with this poem that you heard me read, I Can't Breathe. I yes, wrote that. I think you're going to do for us in a, in a little bit too, I, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I wrote that uh, for Eric Garner, you know, Mike Brown. Because the thing is, I, when you are in this work, you've seen so many of these. Like we could have had Sandra Bland, that could have been the civil unrest. You know, mm-hmm. Amir Rice, I mean, the little boy got murdered in Ohio. We could have all been in under, but the video, you know, I guess is, and I think it's because people are home. Right. Some <laughs> people are saying that. Some people are saying exactly that, that, it, yeah. that sadly, I mean, we'll, we'll tell you what we can get, but it took a global pandemic and everybody being forced to be home with yeah. nothing else to do to finally be forced to take notice of how black people are treated in this country. Yeah, because it's something that we deal with. I dealt with my whole life. You know, that's what, like, when did you start dealing with policing? I'm like, when wasn't I dealing with policing? I mean, as soon as, and I'm, a, and I'm a young girl, I was a young girl in Detroit. So, and still, as soon as I was old enough to hang out with boys, as soon as I was old enough to get into a car and drive in a car with boys, police were part of my life. Like, mm-hmm. that's it, because black boys, especially, um, or even uh, even badass little white boys, <laughs> whoever I was hanging out with, we're getting pulled over by the police. And, mm-hmm. and so that was probably around 15. 16, you know, and the, and the difference though, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, the white privilege that I think society is trying to learn what that even is. Maybe a lot of us for the first time in the last two weeks, Mm -hmm. like my worst run in with the cops was one time I was leaving a friend's birthday party with a white friend of mine late at night, heading somewhere late, late at night, like midnight. And we're walking out and a cop car pulls up and came out and said, we matched the description of two guys they were looking for and they handcuffed us and they had us lean over the cop car and they were, you know, not soft with us, but I never for a minute was scared. I never for a minute thought this could go bad. I was joking. I was, I couldn't wait till the moment where I could ask the cop if I can get a picture of this because it was such a weird moment. Um, that's some of the difference. I mean, am I right or am I wrong? That's a big part. I freak out 
when I'm any cop car gets behind me, I immediately have anxiety. Even and I know I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I don't do anything illegal. I don't break the law. Even if I was like running a stop sign, anything silly, if I make a mistake and turn right on a red, whatever, if they get behind me, I'm freaking out. Like, and I, my son is 13. I remember we got put over by uh, just a Wayne State University cop, just a college, you know, campus cop, which has military equipment, by the way, in Detroit, right. which is what the defund uh, movement is about. It's like getting military equipment away from like Wayne State University cops. This was I went to that school. What they need? They don't need military equipment. <laughs> they're the college like they're monitoring. They're monitoring the college campus, which it's one of the safest areas in Detroit. Is like is that is that area is Wayne State. I was like, y'all need tanks? Y'all need AR-15? No, you don't. How did our cops go from donuts to drones? Where did that evolution? I like them with donuts and just yes. and just the regular guns that we all got in Detroit. Everybody got the guns. <laughs> like, that ain't. Everybody got a gun in Detroit. Like grandmamas are strapped here. It's like it's so real. <laughs> so yeah. what, what do you see if you see anything different this time, as different this time? And what do you think that we can do to make sure this this time it takes hold a little bit differently? Well, what I see different is I see a lot of young white kids in the street protesting, and I and that's. Um, you know, you get you, you have all kinds of different feelings about it, right? Because in Minneapolis, like they're trying to hijack our movement. So you have the ones that are like the anarchists who are just really out there for their own personal gain. And then you have like some of these white kids who I've been watching online, like fighting against their very conservative parents. Like my 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 son is 13. He just showed me a young man on TikTok who's been kicked out of his home, supposedly by parents fighting their politics. And there was a young girl, Pete Rock, but this young girl who's like arguing with her parents online about their racism Good. and yeah and dad saying you no know, that you they don't know they're ghetto and they're and he's like my dad that's right so i'm you know i think it was because this can't be like just our struggle right this has to be like what's right like what what, what are we doing wrong like I, I grew up my i went to cody high school i went at a mini station in my like police were in my schools I like the idea of police not being in schools because yeah. when you have police in schools, you feel like it's like the mini training ground for prisons, especially public schools. Yeah. And you already feel like you're in an, I've, there's schools that you walk in, they got the megaphone screaming at kids when you walk in the door like that. We need to take the police state out of our states. We right. need to absolutely. I like, I love, I don't, we need policing. We need community policing. We need to feel like we know the police officers who are walking. We need people, policemen walking on the ground and women walking on the ground, knowing the neighbors. Like if we fix the education, <laughs> right, we, then crime will go down. We won't even need as many police. You know, if we fix, um, if we put money into mental health and helping people with mental health conditions, right, people who are doing crazy crimes because they're not well. Instead of throwing them in a cell, we actually help them. Help them get the rehab they need, but we don't do rehabilitation. And that's um, been a part of my work as a poet and a writer. I've been in the jails. I've been in the juvenile detention centers seven years um, in St. Louis, juvenile detention centers. Been in Redwood, California with all men, male facilities, with grown men who had done all kinds of atrocious things. But they were in a program that got them to a certain floor where they could come and talk to a person like me. Right. Who was in the jail. And they're looking at me like, why are you in this prison? And I was like, because y'all look like my cousins, my daddies, you're human beings, because I care. Because if you ever get out of here, you know, I want you to understand somebody outside loves you. Right. And 
we have to have compassion, you know, even for people who've made mistakes. And so it's hard, you know, for people to be that way. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm anti-death penalty, you know, and people are like, what if it happened to you if it was your mom? I was like, I still wouldn't want my, the person to die, right? right, right. So, you know, and, and that's just who I am. But getting people to just, I think, I think the world has to, unfortunately, sometimes things have to completely get torn apart for, in order for us to build back up. So we got some work to do. What do you think of this phrase I, I saw on social media the other day? Somebody said that for systemic racism to finally end, yeah. we need white people to stop thinking this is a problem that black people have to deal with, that we feel empathy for, and instead realize this is a white problem that we created that we have to fix. Yeah, I don't know if what color the problem is, but I know that it is definitely um, systemic and it's definitely institutionalized. It's in our side of our schools. My son goes to private school. It's what I'm dealing with, just trying to educate my son, my black child, who's a free thinking individual and the way that they want black boys to stay in line and sit still and all these things that don't really work for their personalities, like understanding that there are cultural differences and that people learn differently. And no, and so it's not just, it's not a white problem. There's a humanity problem in America and, and there's an honesty problem, right? So like white kids and black kids are not getting taught how this country came to be. And it's, you know, cause right. why are we protesting? I'm like, that's how we get shit done. Like, what do you mean? Like if we don't protest and riot and, and fight, then I would still, my ancestors would be enslaved or my indigenous ancestors, you know, um, maybe you know wouldn't wouldn't be uh, wouldn't have reservations at least they don't have enough but they wouldn't have any land because this is indigenous land so it's like we don't teach we talk about Columbus we don't teach about the indigenous struggle we don't talk about ind- indigenous genocide in American history books so I'm always having to read you know it's, my son is my son so I got him and he's looking at the teachers like are you kidding me Columbus didn't discover America that's my my kid at nine right. mostly white authors that we study. It's ridiculous. And they don't even talk about the Middle Passes. The transatlantic slave trade is like a blip. It's like a two-page right. thing. And they'll say, like, oh, the slaves weren't so bad. And, and it, slavery's always existed. And I'm like, no, nothing like American slavery existed. And then, you know, and so we have a lot of work to do because it's not, if you just, it's going to tell, only black kids are going to know about that. And not, you're not telling the white kids what's going on. They're just being fed the BS their parents are giving them. And you're, you're just entitled and privileged. I mean, even my son, my son's been growing up in a very privileged environment. He's an artist kid. He's traveled all over the world. And I've always, you know, even tell him, like, the things that you have, everyone doesn't have. You know, you have, and so I'm trying to balance him out. And he's a black boy. But I'm balance him out because he doesn't get it either all the way. So he's asking a thousand questions right now. And I'm trying to answer all of them from my kid, you know, because um, this is this thing that he, like, this is eighth grade graduation was this. He's like, mommy, this is what I. And then when Trump, he was like, see, he knew President Obama was his president. All he knew was a black man was president because he was born in 2006. So he would see the American flag and he would be like, Obama. And I used to be like, yo, that's crazy wow. to me. That's cool. Trump, man, Trump got elected. I remember I was doing a gig. I was in South America in Brazil. And he, uh, my son was terrified. I came, Trump won when I was gone. And I came back home and he was just tra- traumatized. He was scared. He was like, I don't want to become a teenager. I'll never forget it. He said, I don't want to become a teenager while he's president. And now here he is, a teenager, and look what's happening. And, you know, my mother, who's 75, who came from Canada when she was 17 to marry my father in Detroit and has been here ever since, you know, nearly on the phone in tears because she was with my father fighting against segregation with Martin Luther King. And for her, she's like, I can't believe I would ever see an American president you know, putting like 
firing on protesters just to go to a photo op with a Bible he can barely hold. She was devastated. She's 75. I mean, I think beyond, beyond that, I think he, you know how they say he held it upside down. I really think he spent all that time trying to make sure he grabbed it the same way Hitler grabbed it in that photo that they, uh, is that what he was trying? I, I, I would believe it. I mean, we're dealing with a dictator here, you know, and he's definitely a fascist and, and, I don't know. I, I feel like there's like to me grounds for him to get pushed out of office. Like, and but the Republican silence, the the, the, the Republican silence is scary to me. Like, there's a couple people who have come out, but I don't know what they're so scared of. Or, well, I was like, come on, y'all. Like, if, if that was President Obama, we would be like, yo, he got to go. Like, and with President Obama, if he was shooting on protesters like that, we would like. And there were black people who took President Obama to task on yeah. things. And President Obama Obama ate the wrong kind of salad and people were like, he's got to go. He's eating arugula. What is happening to our country? (laughs) He's got to go. Oh, my God. I wish you could have him back so bad. You know, it's so bad right now. Campaign slogan should be Biden 2020. Obama will basically be president again. Yes. Oh, my God. Let's get the Obamas back. Yes. Let's have dinner together and stuff. We'll get to watch him walk back in. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, but I it's so bad right now that it can only get better. And so that's, that's what I'm looking at. I like, yeah, we're tearing it down. And I had to explain to my son about buildings on fire. Cause that was a big thing. My son, I'm, I'm living with Gandhi and shit. Like he's like Gandhi and I'm like Malcolm X. So I was like, Malcolm and Gandhi are in the same crib. And cause I've raised this really pu- peaceful kid somehow. And he's like, mommy, I don't understand tearing down the burning the building. I said, I know baby. I said, so I was like, but the building, doesn't mean anything if you, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you're on fire, right? right. So, so, so I'm like, so, so just think about like, mommy is already on fire. So I, I'm, I'm like, a bur- so what's more important to build it? So I, if mommy's burning and the building's burning. Which one are you going to put out first? And I, he's like, okay. I said, well, that's it. I said, so we have to help the people that are burning up. We have to help the people that are dying. Because that's a building, it's an inanimate object. Right. We can get that back, but we can't get people's lives back. And so, right. and that, you know, video. Sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no. Just I mean, just trying to get you know, like it's been really good for me to be in the house with a kid. You know, because <laughs> you're trying to like stop, make it. Because you, because that's how it is with white people. Because like, you're you seeing know, how people that don't quite get it yet. Yeah, my white friends who are like, and some of them are just like don't know what to do. Now, let me just say this to my white friends who, you know, are not racist and are on the good side of things. Like, it's oh, you don't have to do anything. Like, I've been offered, <laughs> like, what do I need to do, Jessica? I was like, you like, they want to send me some money, or I was like, listen, like, if you if you're a good person, you know what I mean, and you have you have a, like if you're you own a store, you have good practices. Like, if you're making sure that you're not being biased with your hiring you're doing making opportunities for black and brown people and black and brown women then you're 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 doing the work you know what i mean i don't i don't feel like you know all this uh, the whole the white guilt piece like you don't have to like make people feel bad it's just you have to people have to just be aware because there's a lot of black out of touch um folks too who because of socioeconomic differences some black rich folks in this country you know what i mean who don't don't feel it need the need to get involved, like with radical change, all the time. Yeah, I think you got to be involved to some degree. I I went to a protest yesterday, and my sign said something that I think people think is controversial, but I think it's necessary. I wrote, I wrote, silent people. Are you racist or are you cowards? Mm. 
How can I think there's only two options there? How can you not say something? You don't have to go to a protest, but something at least on your social media to your friends, to your family. How can you be silent during a time when, for the millionth time, we are saying all human beings should be treated the same in this world? Black Lives Matter. Twenty twenty. It's twenty twenty. What the hell? Bonkers. I don't understand it. Like I don't know, but I feel like there's. I feel like the majority of people are good. Right. I feel like the majority of us really are on the same path, but the people in power are not the ones who are reflecting, I think, the good. Right. And I, I try to be optimistic in that way, that, that we can't all just be straight from hell. <laughs> like, I was like, you know what I mean? Some of us are like good people who want change. I know I know good people who come in all colors and shades. Right. And I know jerks in all colors and shades, but but it is understanding institutionalized racism requires education. It requires um, um, empathy. It requires you just really like get outside of yourself, right? And like try to put yourself in someone else's lens because if you've never experienced, like your police experience, like, you know what I mean? Like, Matt, like your lens is so limited because why, you, you wouldn't imagine how many times I had to deal with police. I've been arrested. I've been surrounded by cops with like guns drawn with my boyfriend and Vic were doing nothing, unarmed, whatever, he was speeding. Like, you know, that many cop cars, I never forget, Oakland County. I'm like, and I'm like 18 years old. Like, that, that's normal, you know. Um, a little bit different in Detroit is that we are a predominantly black city and we do have black cops. And that and that's something we have to address. Like, having, like, in Ferguson, there was a problem because I went to St. Louis when Mike Brown was killed. When he left, they killed Mike Brown and left his body for all his friends to watch his head bleed out for many hours in the middle of the street in their neighborhood. And they don't live in that neighborhood. So you have people coming from outside policing other people's children that they don't love. And that is the problem with education. And that's the problem with policing. Why don't, why aren't those changes obvious? Why it shouldn't it be obvious to every community, hire your police from your own community. Why isn't that easy one? The, you know, the prison industrial complex, man, if you studied like, you know, Angela Davis and what she's been doing for such a long time, like the prison industrial complex is all about my, it's economic reality. It's like it's it's a part of what keeps this machine called America going. It's free labor. It's the new it's the new slavery. And yeah. so policing and prisons are connected. Prison pipeline is is a real thing. Yeah, as soon as my son gets like I'm looking at his age, he's turning 14. I was like, King, this is when it becomes a problem. This is when like I'm really got my uh, my arms around my son, you know, worried, like not wanting to ha- you know be afraid to have him be go anywhere with friends or standing around on a corner, like nothing. Like I'm so protective over him, afraid because he's now becomes a threat. The taller he gets, he looks, starts looking like a man. And then people are afraid of you, King. And you don't even know why he's like one of the sweetest boys in the whole world, but people are going to fear you just because you're going to be a tall black man. And he's smart. So he, my son will pull out the, the law book, you know, but mommy, the rights. I was like, baby, they don't, like, they, don't like, they don't like smart ones either. Mm-hmm. You know, and like having these hard conversations, like telling your son how to react to police. You know, this is how you have to talk. Like who? You know, like what kind of place is this? This is the first world. You know, this is this America. Like we're so behind. Um, I mean, we're behind if you just look at our prison population compared to other countries. Like it's sad. We could put full. We have full countries in prison. Yeah, and, and even, yeah, we have the biggest. <laughs> per capita of any country by far, the biggest prison population of the world. And all of the elements of it mm. are really 
it's a it's a vestige of slavery, right? I mean, even cash bail that disproportionately affects minority <sighs> communities because they don't have the access to cash to be able to pay that, so they end up being locked up before a trial ever happens. Well, of course, yeah, because you don't have the money. Nobody has the five hundred to a thousand dollars, whatever, to get you out. <sighs> I, you know, I heard uh, another really, I think, pretty apt thing. You mentioned how our politicians just, how are they not standing up? But even the Democrats are not really, they, they, they say nice things sometimes, but then they're so ineffective. Yeah, it's really anecdotal. You know what yeah. I mean? I, feel I like- heard a really uh, impactful thing I read that said that the Republicans are, you know, drawing an analogy to George Floyd saying the Republicans are the cop with their knee on his neck and the Democrats are the ones Standing there, letting it happen. Check that out. That's deep. (laughs) I mean, because if you're not, you know, and some of them just did like a photo shoot. Danny Simmons was really upset about it. I wasn't mad at the photo shoot where they all had on like Kenta Claw, the Democrat. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, and like uh, that was as anecdotal, right? That's like, okay, but we need to change laws. (laughs) Like that's what the Democrats have to help us do. We have to change laws so that policemen, like that don't think they can do that and get away with it like he's that the, the officer was only doing that because he thought he was well protected um by the system and so uh, we have to change the system we have to change laws laws you know and you have to like dick gregory um always spoke about hitting them where it hurts and like do you care more about like taking their money away like you say okay well if you do this we find out you were uh aggressive then on you know with an arrest then you lose Fifteen thousand dollars, right? Like, you know what I mean. So you know, they start thinking, well, you know, do I care about my family, or do I want to, like, you know, or do I care about being a racist? Like, which right. one is more right now? Like, do you right. really mess up, just beat this dude up because you can, and you just hate him for no reason because of the color of his skin, which is like so 1902. Like, what are you doing? Like, That's I'm, so smart though. It's a good idea. It's like even if you can't root out all the racists, you can hit them in their pocketbook. You can hit them where it hurts. You can have them right. do peer reviews and have to report every detail of when a gun is drawn, every detail of all the things that make them at least realize there will be consequences for right. actions that don't follow the book. Let's go, Ben. I mean, that's it. That's what, that's how people, that's how you get people to react because they're like, Oh, I'm, you know, you're messing with, and then some, some other cop is doing it and you stand there. Maybe you'll say something because you don't want to get fired or get your money deducted or get your gun taken, like take their guns from them. Like first offense, blah, blah, blah. This happens. Sec, okay. Your gun's gone. You know what I mean? You're sitting down. You're taking a break. Like, do or and stop hiring your racist friends because you know they're doing that too. It's a, oh, it's a network. So you know, some of it is like you know, there's been those people showing like the KKK, you know, with the police officer. They really just got they're just the Klan, but it's far more sophisticated than the Klan ever was. You know, Klan they were like vigilantes. They weren't organizing the way. This is some. This is the quiet, <laughs> the, the quiet danger, you know, because you don't know who's good or who's not. Right. They infiltrated the the actual system that is trusted, the system with the power, the system with the ability to force everybody to listen. You, you, you can't call the cops a fringe group. Yeah. And we can't call the cops at all. <laughs> and like like you people that are supposed to protect you, you can't even call them because you call them and they might shoot you instead. And, and that's the problem. And like they're supposed to be there. We're paying our tax dollars, good as anybody else's, pays for their asses to have a job. And then I can't call you 
and make sure that not, and I'm scared to call you because I'm a black woman. You might come in and kill me like you killed Breonna Taylor. Mm. You might mistake me for the assailant. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's a horrible, um, we're in a horrible place, man, a horrible place as a country, but we've been in this place. Um, so thank you. Hi. Hi. You see me for the first time. Razvan Mendru. What a beautiful name. I, I know you're name. already huge, but I want the world to, to find out about you even more so because you. you're, you're so brilliant. Your, your poems captivate me and the way you speak even extemporaneously about the world, just, I don't know, you, you exude passion in a way that like, it's, if we all had an ounce of your passion, I feel like an ounce of your, your humanity, we would go a long way towards healing this world. Thank you, man. Oh, you're so sweet. I'm so glad I met you. Thank Same. you. Same. Uh, would you do us the honor of reading the poem for us that you read the other night in this weekly conversation called The Other America, and you were on the first one, and you read a poem that just blew me away. Thank you. And I wrote this. I was really traumatized by my experience in Ferguson, being on the ground there as a poet and activist. I just went there because I've been teaching at the juvenile detention center for like six or seven years. And so I knew the kids there. So I was like, I was talking to Talib and we were just like, are you sick of looking at this? And I was like, yeah, I'm sick of looking at this. And so we could afford to fly and go. We got a hotel. We went and we got on the street with the rest of the activists. And Talib Kweli, obviously. Yeah, Talib Kweli and Rosa Clemente. You know, it was a great... um, uh, Afro weekend activists out of New York City and a group called the Peace Poets out of the Bronx. So it's a whole bunch of us out there. Um, so this is called I Can't Breathe. So I'll, I'll give it to George Floyd. I'm in Detroit and I can't breathe. The air is being sucked out of my city. The poor don't have water and everything new means no niggas. I can't breathe. There is a smoking gun down my throat. We're promises of a post-racial America. I can't swallow the chamber. It is stuck in 1967 and it keeps reloading after it pierces the bodies of our unarmed babies. I can't breathe because I'm being rushed on a sidewalk in the middle of a peaceful protest by a militarized police force in Missouri. They are yelling, I got one. I got one. I am half running, distraught, searching for Talib's hand. Rosa is a few steps ahead. The air is thick and ugly and dense and I can't breathe. I'm being forced that I face down, lay face down on the cement in Ferguson with AR-15s pointed at my back. A long brown teenage boy is shaking in Rosa's lap. A young thick girl stands up anyway. I pull her back down and ask her to please wait. In Atlanta, a beautiful young activist tells me she's arrested at 6 p.m. and driven around by officers till 2 a.m. before finally being booked with no explanation. We know who you are, they say hoping to replace her breath with fear. And now she doesn't know how to tell her story of being kidnapped. She can't breathe. Who can push out fresh air in this country anymore? The rich, the corporation. We should all be choking to death from Fox News, processed food and white supremacy. My 19 year old calls me after hearing I'm in Ferguson to ask me to please go home. And he hasn't lived with me in years. So I'm trying to figure out this geographic location of this place home, the place we should feel the safest. And I'm wondering where all this rage has been because when you acknowledge race, you're called the racist. Mississippi, goddamn Missouri, feel hot as you. On Canfield, this young man smiles his gold in me. Beautiful, bright, and bravado. You from Detroit, you a poet. I saw you on the news. This is the place where Mike Brown's blood turned to roses. The stem legs of our boys, long and racing, always swimming toward the sun, easily tripped up, life interrupted. The ones who don't love you are armed. 
as much as we claim this is our land. The world minority is running our country, our sweat, our women, our mothers. We birthed this nation, built it on free labor and death with no reparations, Ray, in sight, insight. I need more insight on what this has to do with genocide everything. We are here without choice. Many of us fatherless, some of us warm-blooded, West African, Dakota, Cree, Cherokee. We are a place with no place. We are natives, beautiful somewhere people, news flag poles and crosses, and so many more little girls plus those four we will never forget. We are Moors, portrayed as whores, criminals. We the children of royalty. We red clay goddesses. We down south forces. We the trees that rings of stories. I can't breathe. I'm home from a terrifying place. And Octavia Butler, past future, past lives, scars we surface. I can't breathe. My son is four years from 12 and the park is his planet where he plays freely and he knows seeds lead the flowers if you plant it. He loves Bob Marley, Faith Ringgold and Frida Kahlo. Walks with his head up and doesn't follow. Besides Baraka sings the blues. He thinks wearing a belt is cool. He is simply a black boy with an imagination built on a nation of poems and a mom that says don't mess with me. Cable is a winter luxury. So we don't get our information from the idiot box. I've already had to teach my son how to act when we're pulled over by the cops. He seen them wave and like my poems. He seen them black and flirting as to call me on the phone. He seen them white in Dearborn Heights, accusing me of running a light I did not run. Mommy, but the policeman is lying. That is the reality too, son. When I can't breathe, I cry in a parking lot, dropping you off at hockey camp, praying the white coaches and white kids don't try to suck the beauty out of your lungs, pray you black ice skate fast past the chokehold, the dangerous walks from the store to buy candy. I can't breathe, so I rush to get you from school daily. A collector's mother's intuition always feels death moving around this winter in America clock in the spaces where air is thin. Humanity is forgotten. An ancestral spirit is blowing hard and fear has pushed you into a place you don't recognize. A forced language is pushed into your mouth, whipped across your back along the Ivory Coast on a ship called Jesus in the Congo through the door and a return in an Alabama cotton field in Chicago in Cleveland and Staten Island when you look the world in its face after attempts to hijack your spirit take your breath loosely for Lucy I will inhale God and blow my last wind into your body your exhale be the Holy Ghost for this land I can't breathe 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 can't breathe, can't breathe, I can't breathe. It's hard to read that poem sitting down. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Holy my son is up there. I don't know what he's doing. If I heard you hear noises, my son is upstairs. No, I didn't hear anything except okay. that poem. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we want our bodies back. The title piece I wrote for Sandra Bland. And that piece is like you have to find you have to get the book and, and find it. It's on Audible too. Yes, so where can they can find it. They can find it. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Uh, encourage people to go to local bookstores, support yes. the local independent bookstore. They need you. They need you like poets need audience and people to buy books, the local bookstores, keep them alive by, by ordering through them. Um, but we want our bodies back for Sandra Bland is the, my, probably my strongest poem in the book. And um, also speaks to the reality of, because we don't talk a lot like when it, it's interesting for me because you know, I'm happy that's happening with George Floyd, but I want it more for Breonna Taylor. Like when black women are, are killed by police, the outcry is not as, as strong. And so it's an issue. <laughs> wow. I mean, this is the, the power I think of what art can do is that you hear yeah. we're so desensitized in the news to hearing about death yeah. and injustice, but when you make it filled with human pain, how do you avoid it? How do you yeah. not let it into your heart? About being a mom. 
the whole poem was just about me worried about my sons and my sons worried about me, you know, and me worrying about my son. Like I travel away from him a lot. So like that, me getting on that first plane home every time, I'm always on the earliest flight back from a gig so I can pick him up from school at three o'clock. That's because that collective mother's intuition always hears death moving around this winter in America clock. Like that's a that's not a poem even for me. That's like the reality of how I feel. The anxiety you feel being a black mother in this country, raising a son. Um, that's what it feels like. And, and it's hard for people to under, fathom that when you have a privileged existence, when you think I'm just going to send my son off to school and everything's great. And the people there protect him. You know, I don't feel like I send my son off to school. No, don't feel like he's safe. How do you trust any institution that's just so full of it? It seems like heart is missing heart and brains. Both are missing so much from every aspect of our institutions and of our lives. It's like, can we just lead some policy with our heart? Can we lead some policy with our common humanity and figure out what is the way to benefit the most of us, to help all of us, to not put some rule in there that's going to make people feel removed from their teachers and their mentors and their, and their law enforcement officers and their leaders, politicians. It's why can we just never, it's just, it's so frustrating. It, there's so many parts of this tangled web that we have woven that it really makes you wonder, can it be fixed? How optimistic are you? Do you think we can fix systemic racism? Can we fix these, flawed institutions that have been flawed for so long. Yeah, it's going to take some time, but we can. I do. I do I do think, you know, I believe in the people's party. We talked about earlier, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I believe that if the people speak, if we are a united front across racial and cultural backgrounds and we show up as, as real good people, that we can demand things. Like what's happening in Minneapolis is revolutionary. Amazing. Like, I didn't expect that coming. Whoa, and they got a liberal mayor that I was kind of like, thought he was like about it for a minute. And I, then he got booed because he wasn't down for the, you know, for um, disarming the police and just just fund, defunding the police, but they're like they're doing it. Their city council did it, and um, oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. Don't be sad. I had to write a poem because you know. Forty eight says I'm so incredibly sad, and you had to write that poem. Yeah, but you know, it's what's deep about my my poetry is that you know this is what keeps my smile on my face. So if yeah. I have some, at least I have somewhere I'm gifted where I have somewhere to put my pain, and a lot of people don't have anywhere to put it. And so yeah. that's why you see people doing other things. And um, so I, I'm a, I, my life is fi- full of joy. And then how about this comment from Jan Johnson? You see the effect. I will stand with my fellow humans. This white woman cares and wants equality for all. Come on now. Come on, white woman. Yes. <laughs> I mean, good. My mother isn't black. <laughs> she does too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or American, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, artists. Oh. Cool. Art, art, and I do believe artists, you know, I was, I've been saying God bless the artists, like, you know, this whole pandemic, because, you know, thank God for our artists who are online, who are on Instagram, who whatever, you know, trying to figure this thing out so that we can talk to people because we can get people to listen, right? We can get those views and we can get people to tap. I can't believe how many views I get just on a Facebook Live. I'm like, I haven't been using this tool enough. And so I'm using it now. Like, I'm going to get to my people and I'm going to make my audience bigger, because there's a lot of like-minded people. We have to believe that. I know because I got a good one in my house. I made him. He's got friends. And there are all these kids. I'm worried about our baby, our 12, our 13, our 14. They're coming into manhood and womanhood during this time, right? What are we doing to ensure that their lives are different? Mm-hmm. I, don't want, I don't want them to go into, be turned 18 and 19 
and these tall, beautiful men. Like my uh, my my son had a Zoom with forty five people from all over the country on it, and like about ten of them were his boys, like some of his guy friends from Detroit. Most some of the most articulate, beautiful boys you'd ever witness coming out of Detroit, where you know we don't our educate we don't they, our kids don't get anything here. You got to pay to get a little something. King's been in private school, so he's been privileged with private school his whole life. Um, this in this this fall, we're gonna try for Detroit School of the Arts and give that a whirl, right? And hoping that it work out. But it's but there's some beautiful, this beautiful, and, and people don't see that they see this these stereotypical images of what black boys are. Like it's so unfortunate and what black women are in the media and in Hollywood. Like there, there's problems there too in the entertainment world that we're in, where the same thing is being perpetuated constantly. Where all you see in movies is black men and police. Right. Black women, like all you see is that negative. You don't ever see all the beauty and the the intricate details of a black boy's geography. You know, it's not just one thing. Like they're very complicated, um, beautiful individuals. And we just need to see that reflected more um, in every way. And but education to me is like the foundation of all these issues. When I hear people arguing online, you can tell a person that hasn't read one book. Hmm. Like, you got to read Dr. Clark. You got to read. You got to know who Dick Gregory is. You got to do your homework. You have to like, you know, tell my son, you got to be a scholar. He's reading The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin right now. He's 13. What, what a brilliant human Baldwin was. And Dick Gregory is one of my favorite people of all times, being a politically active comedian who ran for president. I, I feel kinship to that man. Oh, man. And then fasted. You know what I mean? Like so, so many, so many times that he fast for the people like. And marched also with with Martin Luther King Jr. Just stood for what is great in this world and got a million votes. Right. Right. Come on. Come on. Dick Gregory. Hold on. I want to show you something. Please. This is on my son's piano. So you can see it. This is on our piano in his piano. Oh, wow. That's my son, King, with Dick Gregory. If you can see it without it being on. Love that. But that's how cool. Yeah. So, you know. 14? Now, yeah, he's way taller now. (laughs) That was a while ago. He cut all his hair off. He's all, he's too cool for school now. He's 13 now, headed to, headed to high school. 13. Well, I want to, I want to tell people a little bit more quickly about your book before I, I uh, say goodbye and thank you for your time. Um, What's that? Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Thank you. Completely my pleasure. Um, here is is how We Want Our Bodies Back has been described. Mm. Over the past two decades, Jessica Caremore has become a cultural force as a poet, performer, publisher, activist, and critic. Reflecting her transcendent electric voice, this searing poetry collection is filled with moving original stanzas that speak to both Black women's creative and intellectual power and express the pain, sadness, and anger of those who suffer constant scrutiny because of their gender and race. Fierce and passionate, Jessica Caremore argues that Black women spend their lives building a physical and emotional shelter to protect themselves from misogyny, criminalization, hatred, stereotypes, sexual assault, objectification, patriarchy, and death threats. We want our bodies back as an exploration, a defiant stance against these many attacks. Yeah. It's, and a, it's a book of love poems, too. <laughs> it's all love poems to me. Just so Talib, Talib <laughs> Kweli said... Jessica Caremore is my hero, powerful, beautiful, excellent, and unapologetically black. She is who I want to be when I grow up. Right? <laughs> allows us to be seen for who we truly are. That Aww. is high praise. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good guy. We're never growing up, so he'll never become that. <laughs> <laughs>
Because I know he don't want to grow up for real, for real. Yeah, I've been blessed. Him, he, uh, I had some beautiful people quote up. Uh, Patricia Smith gave me great quotes. And then Tracy K. Smith, you know, the U.S. Poet Laureate, you know, just gifted me with a beautiful blurb. And uh, Boots Riley. Boots Riley actually gave who did um, Sorry to Bother You. One of the best movies I've seen in the last 10 years. He's from Detroit, just so we're clear. I know Oakland be like, Oakland, but he's born in Detroit. And he, that's his quote was, there's many times that Jessica Kierboy's work has made me spend hours figuring out how I wish, um, how much of her work will be socially acceptable to steal. I really wish she had put this out when I was writing my last album. He's a nut. I love, I'm a big fan of the coup. So I've known him for many years, you know, through hip hop. So, mm-hmm. and then, yeah. And if you could tell your audience, like, please get the music, like Black Tea, The Legend of Jesse James is a beautiful album. Um, Jose James is on it. Roy Ayers is on it. Talib's on it. Wordsworth is on it. Um, it's a jazz soul project. I was trying to make a rock and roll album and it wasn't working out. It wasn't sounding right. And so uh, it's a, it's actually, I don't know what it is, experimental. And um, yeah, I work with a lot of music. And I got an album coming out with Jeff Mills, techno producer, very famous. And Eddie Incredible. Foles. Yeah, it's coming out in July. It's called cool. the, the Crystal City is Alive. How do people follow you on social? What's your website people can go to? Uh, JessicaCareMore.com and then JessicaCareMore, J-E-S-S-I-C-A-C-A-R-E. Like I care about you, M-O-O-R-E. Jessica, so. you're amazing. Thank you Yay. so very much for sharing. Thank you. Yay. I hope I get to see it. So show me where to find this so I can share it with all my people. Absolutely. It'll, it'll be, a, be alive right now on Facebook, my Facebook and my YouTube.com slash might be the easiest one to share. And then the podcast will come out audio and video in nice. the next few days. Yay. Thank you so much. It's going to, I think it's going to be much better. People like you are on the planet. People like me are on the planet. So we matter. <laughs> we I don't disagree with that. We count. Shit. Get everybody on board. We just got a few billion more to get on board. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jessica. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth.